Saturday, everybody. Happy 2024. Happy January. Just happy everything. <laughs> this is House Dog Pregame. I am Dr. Lauren Fitzbounds. That can I, okay, disclaimer. Yes, it is 2024. Ronnie's still ignorant as all outdoors. He has not changed. If anything, he has gotten worse with the new year coming in. So do not be surprised by all his shenanigans because he's ignorant. He's just ignorant. Can I can I can I say one thing though? You didn't say anything about it, but <laughs> one change I did make to start 2024 off on a high positive note was it that I didn't log into the Zoom with one of my favorite Cowboys backgrounds. So can I at least get some, Give you some credit, credit there? Just for, for not having your wallpaper be ill-behaved and all type of foolishness. Look, okay, we, Ronnie. We all fall short of we all fall short in front of the Lord, okay? So some Ronnie. of us just fall sh- a little bit shorter than others. Um but I'm getting there though. I'm getting there. I'm trying to shorten how much I fall in front of him. Okay. Don't trip. He ain't through with you yet. <laughs> he ain't through with me yet. He not. He not. But happy New Year, everybody. Welcome back to House Talk Pregame. This is episode 138. Don't quote me on that. It might be 139, but I believe this is 138 from where we left off last time. It's 139. 139. Okay. I was all right. Off by a little bit, but it's all good though. Episode 139. We mm-hmm. have a phenomenal, phenomenal episode lined up for you all today to kick off the new year. We got two uh returning guests with us today. We got Mr. Ted Wright of Bowie State University. Welcome back, Ted. Always a pleasure to have you. And then we have another returning guest, Mr. John Petrelli, out of uh Austin, Texas, and everything, back to share about his uh his brand new book, Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. And also just kind of talking more about just uh, some of the things he's got going on, the things he's been, um, you know, navigating in his space and everything. He's got a phenomenal testimony to share with us today. So looking forward to getting into that. Um, Dr. Pitts, there's been a lot of things that's been going on since the last time we were on the air. Um, You know, we kicked off, we ended off 2023 back in uh, early December and everything. Um, Quite a few things have been going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And just from the HBCU world real quick. Um, shout out to uh, FAMU for winning the uh, HBCU National Championship uh, alongside the uh, Celebration Bowl. They beat uh, Howard University, uh, I want to say back in mid-December, right before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also coming out of FAMU, there have been some, um, you know, just a little bit of controversy going on. We all know that uh, just last week, their head coach, Willie Simmons, accepted a position at Duke University to be their running backs coach. Um Caught a lot of flack behind that. Um, A lot of people, you know, started to bring up the old narratives of, you know, this is the same as when uh, Dion left Jackson State, you know, when Ed Reed fell out with Bethune-Cookman and stuff like that. Um, And also on top of that, the uh, AD from FAMU, um, Miss Tiffany Sykes, who is also a grad of Virginia State University and from Virginia, who's been doing the darn thing at multiple schools. Uh, Prior to FAMU, she was at uh, Columbia University, an Ivy League school, Prior to that, um, she was helping out with another HBCU. So she has a lot of experience in the AD role. Um, and a lot of people have been coming at her neck unfairly because, you know, um, you know, Coach Simmons decided that, you know, he wanted to continue his coaching tenure at Duke University and not remain at FAMU. He a grown man. That's that's his decision. That's his prerogative. He's a coach and everything. It would be no different than if FAMU was losing and they went in his office and said, hey, coach. You're not getting the job done. Uh, we like you and everything, but you got to go. 
So um, she's been catching a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of flack for that. Um, you know, a lot of the uh, older uh, administrations that's at FAMU, um, which is uh, male dominated, um, don't always agree with some of her choices. But I think one of the things that I've noticed about since she's been the AD is she's very student athlete focused, which is important. At the end of the day, these student athletes at these colleges, they are the ones going out there performing, executing, doing all the things that bring notoriety and fame to these schools, right? And so if you're not going to be student athlete focused and you're just going to act in the best interest of the school and not the student athletes, then you can't be mad when your student athletes aren't performing, they're not doing what they're supposed to do, they're not winning, and you're not bringing in revenue and stuff like that. So shout out to uh, A.D. Sykes and everything for doing what she's doing at FAMU. I'm pretty sure the next head coach that comes into FAMU is going to do a phenomenal job, keep their momentum going and everything. But more importantly, be mindful and care for the student athletes. Right. Um, outside of that, we've also noticed um, an uptick in, you know, mental health awareness, not only at the professional level, but the collegiate level. Um, for example, um, uh, former Miami Heat uh, point guard Ricky Rubio announced that he's stepping away from the NBA for long term uh, due to mental health concerns. Um, and, you know, shout out to him for, you know, taking his mental health as a priority and, and not, you know, sacrificing his his beliefs in himself, his confidence, his self-esteem, just his overall awareness and sacrificing it for a paycheck at the professional level. I think sometimes as athletes, you know, we will sacrifice our morals and sacrifice who we are for what we think is the greater good of the other people around us. When, and sometimes in those situations, when we do do things for the greater good of others, sometimes that greater good don't always come back to us, right? So um, shout out to Ricky Rubio for that. And also shout out to a lot of the other bigger schools who are taking an emphasis on mental health training, getting their student athletes mental health certificates, getting their coaches and the administration and athletics mental health certificates. I think that's a phenomenal thing. Mental health matters. Right. You know, as much as these players can go out there and put on a tough face and, a, and and put on a helmet or whatever the case may be and go out there and be gladiators for two and three hours on a Saturday and Sunday. They're more than just athletes. They're more than just players. They're more than football, basketball, baseball, whatever the case may be. They are more than that. They're humans first. And if we don't take care of the human side of us, athlete athletics means nothing. So um, that's really all the news I have as far as updates and everything. I will have way more news on the 20th. Uh, because hopefully on the 20th, when we come back, um, the best news I can receive all of 2024 will be here that uh, the Dallas Cowboys lost in the playoffs. Um, and here I was thinking that close, it was going to be you were going to be the father of a beautiful baby girl. I was See, into that. Hey, that's a close set. That's a very, hey, that's, a, that's one B. That's one B. That, look, Dr. Pitts, look. What's wrong with this picture, gentlemen? See, hate destroys, Ronnie. It destroys. You put your hatred for the Dallas Cowboys above getting ready to have a beautiful baby girl. Uh, where's Mrs. Rance? I need her to come to come to the show right now. Mr. Do I need to call her and text? Her? What you what you what you call hate? I will reframe as just a strong disdain for mediocrity. That's all I'm saying. Ronnie Ransom. That's all Shame I'm saying. You. You we don't do mediocre it. around here, Doctor Pitts. But anywho. Dr. Pitts, it's the top of the year. Uh, we're going to start off on a positive note, a highly positive note, okay? Um, yeah. With that well, being your toxicity said. toxicity is de depressing. Do you have a mental health tip of the week that you would like to share with our, uh, with our uh, folks today to start off the new yes, year on a high note? Yes, it kills. <laughs> it destroys. It is horrible for your mental health. 
<laughs> my, my authentic mental health tip will be intertwined throughout our conversation today. All right. Got you. Got you. Got you. So like we said, we have a phenomenal guest uh, joining us back again today on House Talk pregame and everything, Mr. John Petrelli. And so for those who are not around for the first episode that John was on here. So John has been a certified personal fitness trainer for over 25 years with advanced certifications from the NASM, American Council on Exercise, the Aerobics and Fitness Association of America, the Athletic Certification and Training Commission, FMS Functional Movement Screen, and TRX Certified. He is also a sports nutritionist, a certified black belt instructor, and trains in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Krav Maga, and boxing. Over the years, he has trained a long list of clients, ranging from NFL and motocross athletes to Hollywood celebrities. So, and if you just so happen to be in the Lakeway, Austin, Texas area, you can find his gym and where you can go there to train, set up a session with John, and pick your poison, whether it's from martial arts to weightlifting to nutrition to boxing, the whole nine yards, John got it at his place. John, welcome back to House Talk pregame. How's everything going in your neck of the woods today? Good. Thank you so much, Ronnie. That was a mouthful. I, I don't, I live that stuff and I don't even think I could say it. So, uh, wow. And uh, I, I appreciate it. everything's going great here. I feel so blessed to be here again. Number one, giving me some insight on what you guys do every day and how much energy you bring to it. And I've gotten to talk to Dr. Lauren before, and I love what she does. And I have found out so, you know, I may deal with people's physicality, but we all know that it's our mental health and our mentality that precludes right. that and really dictates what we do physically every day. And so I give you kudos and thanks. I've dealt with my own mental health issues throughout my life. And uh, I'm so feel so blessed to be part a small part of this team today that has given people amazing information on how to navigate the waters going forward. Well, thank you so much for that, John. And um, you know, like I said, I had a chance to kind of look over some of the things you've done, some of the phenomenal things you've done over the years and everything. Um, and so I know you probably told a little bit about your life story and everything in the first time you hear. Unfortunately, I wasn't here to hear mm -hmm. all those phenomenal things. So for our new listeners and new viewers and people who do not know who John is, kind of give us a little backstory and rundown on how you got to be where you are today, man. Absolutely. So before I think, Ronnie, it's important for us to go back a little bit. Before I ever wrote a best-selling book, before I ever traveled or did all these whatever things, I was a kid that had dyslexia, had anger issues, had fear issues, had violence happen in my life. And I want people, and I say this because we all have our journey. We all have challenges that come up and we may look at other things and go, man, I can never achieve that, whether it's an athlete or a scholar. But we have to know that nothing's created overnight. People have gone through a process and it's more about that process of how I got to where I am that I believe is more important, especially for today's youth to understand that they are capable of anything. That if I can do what I've done with dyslexia, with getting arrested at 18 and getting put in jail and deciding that I had to change my life. If I can do those things, I want people to understand, imagine what you can do and what you're capable of and the people you can help and who you can love. So my, my, my childhood and my youth had some violence in it. At 18, I did get arrested and got put in jail for violence where I had, I had possibly killed somebody. And that mm. was a, a linchpin in my life where I decided I wanted to go from taking from society that I needed to go to giving to society. And I started understanding that the emotions 
that I was living and the thoughts that I was having were creating those emotions. And I had no idea the power of that. I believe the story that people told about me. I believe the story in my head that I had to have a persona of a tough guy. I believed all these things. And then when I started to redefine what my beliefs were, I gradually started changing my life. And through the blessing and grace of God, I have found that I've literally been paralyzed twice in my life. I was paralyzed mentally through violence, through fear and anger. And then in 2021, I was actually physically paralyzed with a rare autoimmune disorder. And I found myself looking up at the walls in the ICU at three o'clock in the morning, unable to move any part of my body. But if those tragedies hadn't happened earlier in my life, those testimonies, those trials where I slept on the floor, I had $200 to my name, I got arrested. I probably wouldn't have been able to navigate being paralyzed in the ICU for 10 days. But God was preparing me for those things that come down the line so I would be fortified and have surrounded myself with my faith, with my family, and with people that can help support me, like you guys do on this podcast all the time. So that's kind of a nutshell of a little bit of what I've been doing. I had a bumpy road to start, but literally through special mentors in my life and the grace of God and my family and my faith, I've been able to do some things that you know I hope to inspire other people to do. That's beautiful. You mentioned how, you know, sometimes um, we don't get when we're born, we don't get to pick our families, our environments, the people in those environments, the schools, the education, the resources that are available to us in those environments. And so depending on what that environment looks like for you, we're left to survive. And sometimes when we're in survival mode, we create a blueprint for life in that moment that is not about thriving or actually building upon it. It's just getting through, getting by. And for you to kind of, you know, have that reframe and have that moment where it's like, yeah, you know, I can take these situations and then go one or two ways. I can either double down and go down this path and I either be dead in jail, lost, whatever the case may be, or I can take these survivalist skills and flip them into thriving skills that I can build a foundation that I will be proud of and establish a family, a legacy and so on and so forth that you've talked about so far, man. So that's a really beautiful way to paint that, man. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you know, I've, one thing I've learned, Ronnie, is that to forgive myself for the actions that I've taken, because I can't go back and change them. But what I can do is change the present and the future to, to do make different choices and also forgive other people that came through my life because they were doing the best they could with the tools they had at the time. Right. And so, you know, we can only do that and move forward as opposed to hold these negative thoughts about what, oh, woe is me or this happened to me in the past. And <laughs> You know, I just have to be stuck with these circumstances. Right. I want oh, go ahead, Dr. Pitts. I, I was there was a couple of things that I wanted to piggyback on because goodness gracious, we have so much to cover in such a short period of time. Um, what you just said, John, just a, a, a second ago um, reminds me that how often I tell my clients that your past doesn't have to define your present and your future unless you decide that it should. And I remember saying to a, a client last night, like, what benefit are you getting from holding on to the pain of your past? And of course, most people said, well, Dr. Pitts, I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm like, no, 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 you are. That, that's what we call secondary gain clinically. You're getting something out of it or else you wouldn't be holding on to it, right? So you have to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, how is holding on to this pain serving you? Is it 
Is it helping you to sort of validate or justify the mediocrity in your life? Is it making it easier for you to not take responsibility and accountability for the own poor choices that you've made? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have to be willing to have those vulnerable and transparent conversations. And then the other thing that you said when you talked about being mentally paralyzed, clinically, I refer to that as being an emotional quadriplegic, right? Mm. People don't realize mm. that they're mentally paralyzed, but in order for you to get well, in order for you to get free, you have to acknowledge that you're mentally paralyzed, right? It's like clinically, what do we say all the time? You the first step to recovery is admitting that you have a problem. Um, so I wanted to acknowledge that. And then Ronnie, I'm going to pass it back to you, but I want to, I want to circle back because there were some, definitely some key things that I highlighted in your book that I, I want to make sure that we give you space to expound upon for our audience. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, and kind of before we dive into the book and everything, John, I wanted to ask you because you kind of mentioned um, about the two the two uh, parts in your life where you had felt paralysis and everything, the mental paralysis when you were in your younger years, and then in 2021 when you were diagnosed, and I, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, or GBS for short. I go GBS, yes, right. Guillain-Barre syndrome, Guillain-Barre, as you said it too, I've heard it that way also. Got okay, I, I know it's, it's kind of like a French uh, descent, I think, or yep. something, something of that nature. Um, so, up until 2021, you had done so many phenomenal things. You had been a Hollywood trainer. You've been a trainer for athletes of all levels. Um, you open up your gym and everything. And then 2021 gets here. Um, and like I said, I'm not sure if you had went over this in the first time you were here. Mm -hmm. um, but if you don't mind, just kind of talk to us about, you know, that period in 2021 where you were diagnosed with GBS and what it's been like for you over the last two years, kind of like having to relearn things for the first time again. I would imagine having to use your limbs, having to walk, having to function and things like that. For somebody who has dedicated so much of their life to human performance and human functioning and just nutrition and things like that, for you, what was that test like going through that, like you said, being completely paralyzed for 10 days in the ICU to, I've seen some of your Instagram videos, man, you're moving phenomenal now. So what was that process like over the last few years to get back to where you were prior to 2021? Oh, that's very kind. So yeah, my identity was wrapped up in my physicality. And so in 2021, I told Dr. Lauren last time, just to recap a little bit, my feet started going numb and my hands started going numb. And maybe it was male machismo or just my own ego. I didn't say anything to anybody. I didn't mention it to my wife. And after about a week, that numbness started ascending up to my shins and my knees. And I woke up one morning and I had lost my urinary stream and I couldn't see. I couldn't read my phone anymore. And I finally broke down and I told my wife, who is the yin to my yang, my wife, Cheyenne, God bless her. She balances me. And I told her, I said, baby, when I get home from work today, we should probably go see a doctor. And she said, no, honey, we're going to the doctor now. You're telling me you can't see? I think we're going to go to the doctor. So in a very short period of time, I went from that to not being able to walk. I needed assistance to make it to the car. And they did a bunch of tests to make everything short. And they pulled fluid out of my spine. They checked my mm -hmm. spinal fluid. They gave me a spinal tap. Mm -hmm. And I tested positive for Guillain-Barre syndrome. And I got admitted in the ICU in a wheelchair because I could no longer stand on my own. I was like a double A battery that was just rapidly getting drained. So now I have all these things going through my mentality. Okay, 
I'm so used to powering through so many things or just willing them out with my physicality. And this would have been a perfect time as they're wheeling me down the corridor in the ICU and I'm in the wheelchair for me to go, why is this happening to me? Why me? But I saw people in other states of disarray in the other rooms. And I knew that some of them would not make it out of the ICU. And I also knew, I didn't know how, but I knew through the grace of God that some way I was going to find a way out for my family. And so as they wheeled me down to the ICU and I get in there, over the course of 10 days, a lot of things happened. I coded out where all the doctors on the floor had to come and bring me back. I went through all types of diagnostic tests. I embarrassingly soiled myself in there. I lost all function where I could even go to the bathroom. And I had so many opportunities to be in a negative mindset. But because I was blessed with losing my physicality, I had to rely on my mentality. I had to, that was the only thing I had left. So I filled my room with positive vibrations so they would nourish me on that level. For me, that's Bob Marley, one of my former clients, is Ziggy Marley of 20 years. So I listened to their music because I didn't want to hear the moans, everything that's associated with the ICU, whether it's the monitor beeping. And then number two is I meditated and prayed extensively and I started visualizing myself and my body healing itself. And whether it helped or not, it helped me from going into a negative place. And it just filled my mind with a consistent task of being positive and healing myself. I, I know, and I don't want to take anything away from Western medicine. My doctors, my nurses were amazing. But for me, I know it helped. And number three, my wife, God bless her. She went and we realized that I wasn't going to nourish myself on a cellular level with eating chicken fingers and French fries that they were serving from the cafeteria. So because I can no longer swallow and I had to have pureed food, she went home and made me pureed organic food every day and brought it to me. So now I was working on a mental level. I was working on a spiritual level and I was working on a cellular level. And from the course of 10 days, I had lost all my physicality where I could only move my eyeballs. And I said to myself, how? And I didn't know, I didn't know how, but I asked the question, how can I turn something positive out of this? And so the guy that we didn't cover it, but listen, man, I have learning disabilities. I know I have dyslexia. I type something in spell check and spell check is like, dude, we have no idea what you're trying to say here. You might want to start over and try again. We have no idea. The guy that had anger issues that got slammed down on the street face first by the police and put in handcuffs that literally was passed in high school because teachers didn't want to see my ugly face anymore, decided to write a book. And I said, maybe people can get inspiration from me being paralyzed, from them maybe experiencing something similar of trauma in their life. And so as crazy as it seems, I didn't know how I would write a book. I never wrote a book. I didn't know how I would start, but I put that in my head because I had nothing but time and sitting there. And over the course of being discharged in a wheelchair, I left in a wheelchair. And over the next three to four months, I went from a wheelchair to a walker to a cane. And when I couldn't physically walk to a keyboard, I took my walker to a keyboard. And when my hands weren't working great, I did my best to type as I could. And I connected with somebody. 
This is important. I think it's important for people to know. And an old Jewish man told me this, who was one of my clients who I loved to death. His name was Erwin Korsen. Erwin Korsen. He taught me, he said, John, life is going to bring you enough trouble on its own. Don't go looking for other trouble. And over the past 20 years, I stopped looking for trouble. And I was able to start looking for greatness in other people. I was able to start looking for something in me. <clears throat> and so when I got hit being paralyzed, I had a community that was around me that could support me, that could help lift me up, that could take me to the physical therapist's office when I can no longer drive that would send me food or prayers. And through that, man, I write a book and the guy that has dyslexia, all this stuff, it becomes an instant number one bestseller. And once again, I say that and I get emotional about it. Because literally, man, I just want people to know it doesn't matter your past. You can achieve anything. You can. And there's nothing special about me that's different than you. We have our own uniqueness. But if you spend the time to find what your own uniqueness is and you work at it, there's no magic wand. You got to put in effort. You got to put in time. You got to surround yourself with people. You got to have faith. But man, we can fill. Take your time. We can man. fill this Take world with greatness. Absolutely, absolutely, man. That was powerful, man. Thank you for sharing that, <clears throat> John. I wanted to ask you. You mentioned how prior to twenty twenty one, your life was wrapped in human performance, physical performance, and things like yeah. that. I wanted you to kind of touch on this a little bit. You just kind of did, but I wanted you to expound on it a little bit more. As men, you know, society has put us in a box that we can only be providers and protectors, right? And anything outside of that really doesn't qualify for us. And it eliminates us from being the human side of us, right? We always got to be tough. We always got to be guarded. We always got to be reserved. We always got to be on the lookout for the next threat and things like that. And that advice you just said, don't go looking for trouble. Look for the positives in the world. Trouble will find you anyways. As a man who has achieved so many of the things you've achieved, I want you to talk about not losing you in this process, or even if you had lost you as John, and what I mean by that is, you know, as we get older, we add responsibilities to our life. We add the responsibility of being a husband, a father, an employee, an entrepreneur, whatever the case may be. And sometimes the biggest responsibility that we lose out on is the responsibility of us. And so going through what you went through in 2021 and over the last two years, how important was it for you to get back to you? And what message would you have for other men out there who are trying to establish careers and establish families and things like that, not losing who you are in that process? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you, Ronnie. I can't go back to who I was before because I hopefully am continually growing. So who John Petrelli is at 51, 52 years old is different than I was at 18. So I'm not trying to recapture that 18-year-old, that 30-year-old. There are elements of that individual that are part of me, but hopefully I keep growing. I'm at the point where 
it is just hopefully as powerful for me to say, I love you to my wife or my kids as it is to be whatever we define as masculine or bravado, right? Because there is strength in each of those elements. And I don't think they're all just as important if used in the right context in the right situations. So the John Petrelli at 20 years old was probably embarrassed to say, I love you or to be vulnerable. But there's such great power in being vulnerable because people can relate to that. And it's part of who I am. You know, it's part of who I am where I'm blessed at the fact that I got paralyzed and it hopefully sparked something in some individual, one person out there that's listening to this. And maybe they're touched by the fact that I'm emotional about this or whatever, and they can understand that that's part of them too, and they can be comfortable with it. So Ronnie, I just try to keep redefining who I am by meeting people like you, by meeting people like Ted, by meeting people like Dr. Lauren, that give me a little element of yourself by you sharing it with me. And I can go, you know what? Ronnie said an amazing thing here, or Ted said an amazing thing here. Maybe I can learn from that. and I can make a little piece of that part of who I am. Because we're just a culmination of our experiences, of our journey. And so we should all be evolving and we should be different every day. So there's part of me that I have lost too, which I'm okay with. I don't want to walk around angry. I don't want to hurt anybody. I'm not proud of any violence that I would have to create. Does that make sense? So Absolutely. who I am is different. But I'm happy with who I am right now and hopefully who I am tomorrow after talking with you is a little bit different than who I was right now. Amen. Thank you for sharing that, John. Thank you. That was a beautiful answer. Ted, I, I know you. <laughs> I, I, I see all your wheels. and I want to give space for you to chime in before I start jumping into some of the key points of, of John's book. First of all, I'm just glad to be invited in. I'm not a mental health specialist. I'm not a trainer or any of that. I just feel like I was God invited me to sit in to listen to this today. Um, John, your story, I heard a part of it before, but it was original again today to me. So um, it's authentic when you share it and it wasn't the same way the last time it still touched me then but again sharing it again for ronnie for the first time telling you it, it has the same impact when you're hearing it a second time but the other pieces that i like to add to dr pitts and you ronnie is in 2024 there's there's some people who uh in 23 i should say that chose to not be with us anymore through suicide or whatever the case may be. But I want to say to each and to both of you and anybody in the mental health space, when you said you had 139 shows and I know all of them weren't easy, y'all still were developing the whole time, but you saved some people's lives in 2023 through the mental health tips, through being on uh, LinkedIn, all the platforms that you continuously be on. And I know it's not easy to do. And sometimes you think it goes on deaf ears. There are some people's lives that were saved because you continue to do what you did and you thought nobody was listening. So because I don't have a skill set to do what you do, I commend you and can ask you to continue to do what you guys are doing. 
John, your story needs to continuously be told. I, I don't know how the platform is going to be. It needs to be bigger. And I pray for each and every one of you stories to be told and you all are helping people. And mental health is real in the sports space. It's real everywhere else. And, and I see some of it because I'm dealing with people every day that are struggling in the business space. They are all over the place. They need help, but they don't know to ask for it. And they feel it's shameful to ask for it. So you guys keep making it, making it be normal to ask for that type of help and get the help that they need. So I want to commend each and every one of you for doing what you did last year and that we'll continue to do what we do this year. But uh, I, I don't have anything else to say except, John, thank you for your testimony today. It touched and moved me. And um, I'm just waiting to, just to hear the rest of this conversation. So I'm going to shut up. Thank you. Gosh, Ted, man, for a bulldog, man, you pulling at my strings, man. And I don't like, I don't like, man. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. I, I really appreciate the kind words and everything. And, um, you know, it, it does us no good to, to gatekeep information that can be helpful for somebody else. Um, and, and I'm always honored to be in these spaces. You know, when I, when we have guests on, whether it's John or any other guests we've had, um, just the experiences and hearing their perspectives and hearing their stories. Um, John's story gives me motivation. Uh, I I couldn't fathom being in that position in 2021. Um, I, I know I don't have the mental fortitude to get through something like that on my own. Um, and, and to hear John's testimony and to hear his story, man, um, like you said, it needs to be broadcast to the world. Uh, yes, he has a bestseller, but I don't even think sometimes that doesn't do it justice for just how impactful and powerful a testimony and story can be like this because as men, you know, we talk about this all the time, especially with men and mental men in mental health, is that we don't have a lot of spaces where being vulnerable and being emotional and, and really opening up can be seen as a rewarding process. A lot of times we're demonized for having emotions, we're demonized for being vulnerable, we're demonized for for caring, for being empathetic. Um, and and like John said, that breeds so much anger and resentment, not only towards the world, but towards yourself. Being angry at yourself because you can't express these feelings, being angry at yourself because you don't know who you can trust to talk to about these feelings. That anger doesn't leave us, like John said, until you have that space and give your space to forgive yourself for having to survive situations that you didn't actually be a part of, but also knowing that, yes, I survived these spaces and I survived these environments, but I can also flip the switch and start to thrive and start to build something that I can be proud of and also start to share with other people. And so I'm glad we're able to hold this space for men, women of all colors, all ages, whatever the case may be, because it's important to share these testimonies and let people know you are not alone with your feelings. You are not alone with your situations. There are so many other people who have been through similar situations or similar trials and tribulations that either John's been through, you have been through, Ted, Dr. Pitts has been through, I've been through. There are so many stories like ours, but if we don't have a space to share those stories in an empathetic and authentic space, and they don't get heard and people don't feel like they have other people that they can lean on and call on or count on in times of distress and need. And so, yeah, uh, Ted, uh, thank you for the beautiful words, man. Um, Dr. Ron, Pitt, I, I also you... wanted to add <laughs> oh, go ahead. real quickly, um, you guys may just triggered something. When we start talking about not having space for men, um, I have uh, never really thought about it this way, but I've created a platform for the last six years that I do a men's scripture, men's only scripture reading call. 
in nine in twenty seventeen when I started it, it was just me and maybe two people. Mm-hmm. Today we have created a space that's safe for brothers to come, and ain't no judgment. Get to, we gonna read scripture. We're gonna go through filter it through Jesus Christ. We're gonna do all of that. But brothers have a safe space to share what's on their heart. You do it at seven thirty in the morning. Brothers get to have a, a a foundational basis in the morning to face the world or whatever's gonna come at them. But they're gonna start with that. Now we get heated on there, but it's it became a brotherhood of fellowship where brothers have shared their intimate stories and, and situations that they truly dealing with in real life. And they've been in a position to have no brothers judge them. That information ain't on Instagram. It ain't being recorded. And brothers are being helped because they have an opportunity to share where they're at in their relationships, in in their challenges with people they deal with in employment, their vocation. So I'm thankful that I, you know, the space is available and uh, it ain't a mental health piece, but brothers get to share there. And then they come to talk to you all or at least get informed enough that there's spaces out there for you to go to talk to other people who can guide you through the next steps of it. If it be if it's something that requires additional things beyond spiritual health. Absolutely. Thank you for sharing. I think that, it's Ted. important to um, Ted, to clarify when you say brothers, it's brothers is there is no ethnic limitation. There's no racial Absolutely. limitation. And it's brothers no as in religion. men, as in a a a international non-denominational non um non-ethnic or or racial uh brotherhood it's all men are we are welcome we were all created by one and so who am i to try to separate and divide people it's not part of what he asked so i'm not about that it's where you come at what level you're at we accept you and we have built relationships that way. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and to my husband, yes, honey, I'm okay. <laughs> He's texting me. It's getting fun. Okay. He sees me over here crying my face off. Um, so th- I want to, I want to link a couple of things as, as a, we dive into some keys that I think that it's really important to expound upon where John's book is concerned. Um, and I want to start with the same. Like, that's what we talking about. Everything is created twice. Everything is created twice. And a lot of people don't know what that means. What I mean by that and and what that means is everything begins with a thought. So our thought life is paramount in every aspect of our lives. Because when you look at how things manifest in our lives, whether it's physical conditions or something tangible or whatever the case may be, its first creation is a thought. And then it takes form. And that form may be, you know, whatever it is that's going on in our body, whatever it is that's physically going on in our lives, you know, finances or whatever the case may be. So what I want people to understand, and and John in essence said it, is that there is a connection between our thoughts, our feelings, our physical and our mental health. And people need to understand that because certainly I'm not going to suggest for a moment, I would never, that John's condition was because of something that he was thinking. But what I will say is the mental state that you chose to be in after your diagnosis played a part in your healing. 
And, and that's the piece that people don't get, right? Is that your decision, your decision to heal was instrumental in your healing. And a lot of people don't realize that because so many people get these negative reports from their doctors. They throw in the towel. They just give up. And you did. You got a testimony. Come on, tell it. Come on, you got one. Say it. And it's someone that's had two cancer diagnoses in my life. In my first cancer diagnosis, I was only 14 years old. And I was only given six months to live. And here I sit at 56. I'll be 57 this year. But I've been a fireball my whole life. <laughs> Tell people I was too stubborn to die. And I think that that's you. And as I reflect upon all of the things that you shared in your book, I said he wasn't going nowhere. <laughs> this Italian, this red-blooded Italian was too stubborn to die. He was too stubborn to be stricken to a wheelchair. You wasn't having that. It was, it, look, not only was it against you and who you were, but as I reflect upon, and this is where I want to dive into the book, as I reflect upon, you just shared so much about your dad throughout the book. And I, and I want to, I want to incorporate this and add the clinical twist because I think that it's so critical. It's, it ties into the, the subject of my, the topic of my dissertation and in my doctoral program. 75%, according to statistics, and we know statistics can be funky, but according to statistical research, of the 11 million single parent homes in the United States, 80% of them are fatherless. 75% of African-American homes are experiencing paternal absence. Your father was present in the home and he was by all estimates an extraordinary man. But you also acknowledge throughout the book how, and if I may paraphrase, how his rigidness how his militant nature and in rules and parenting contributed to all of that anger, all of that rage, and all of that violence that you navigated life with. And I, as I was taking notes on the book, one of the things that I said is that your dad, your relationship with your dad reminds me of my relationship with my mom. Work ethic, rock solid, strength, resilient. One of the angriest people that I know. She's just mad all the time. I was saying the other day, as I reflect upon my childhood and I look at old pictures, I don't ever recall seeing my mom smile. I don't ever recall hearing my mom laugh. I've seen her laugh more in the past 10 years than I have in my entire life. Right. You talked about how he was a phenomenal provider, as was my mother. You talked about 
how he kept things bottled up. Same thing with my mom. You talked about how you felt like you could never do any right. And I can tell you as a clinician, as someone who spent the first half of my clinical career working with kids, say clinically, we define that anger and that rage as oppositional defiant disorder. We diagnose it as intermittent explosive disorder, but we don't diagnose it for what it really is. And that is a systemic issue that is the result of broken attachment and emotional and physical trauma. And I wanted you to speak to that, if you could, please, for just a moment. Yeah. And how you see that attributing to your journey. Yeah, thank you for bringing up that point and so eloquently uh, articulating it. So my dad, for people that don't know, was all those things that Dr. Lauren just said. He was a great provider. He was a great man. At the time, in my adolescence, I didn't have great communication skills, and neither did he because of his past and his trauma. He served in three wars. He was in World War II, Korea, and Vietnam, and he never talked about any of it until his later years. And I know my dad had PTSD, and I saw, I know factually at the end of his life, How much death and violence he dealt with. I mean, mass bodies and graves. But he couldn't talk about it. And so he didn't have a father. His father had a whole other family, and that affected his life. And so he was raised by the military. So he just did the best he could with the tools he had. Looking back as an adult, I understand that. But as a child or an adolescent or a young man, I didn't understand it. We didn't have any communication. I'm going to go off and come back. The title of my book is Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. And people, there are some stories of people in Hollywood in there, okay? Or celebrities or athletes. But what I learned is, is the same thread that goes through you and everybody on this panel and everybody listening is the same thread of humanity that goes through, no matter what your title is, no matter if it's a soldier that's gone through three wars or a celebrity or the, the hottest athlete today, and we're all humans. And we all have the same common threads of needing love, wanting to be loved, to give love, to have acknowledgement, to be part of something. And so I try to give levity to whether we read a headline and it's a celebrity now, we're like, how could they do that? Or how can they have everything? We don't know what people are dealing with. I didn't understand what my dad was dealing with at the time. And because I didn't have communication, because maybe his upbringing, we couldn't talk about these things and it created negative thoughts, which created my negative emotions of anger and rage and everything. But Literally, there is so much more in life that connects us than separates us. And maybe with social media and today's society, we focus so much on what separates us. But if we focus on what connects us, 
in humanity, in who we are as people, we can find so much more common ground and, and have hopefully more of an understanding where people are coming from. And so, Dr. Lauren, I don't know if that's exactly what you were looking for, but that's what is sparked in me. And that I've given my dad forgiveness. I've given myself forgiveness. Once again, we do the best we can with what we have at the time. And if I could have done better, I would have done better. And if he could have done better, he probably would have done better. Yeah. Yeah. John, that, that absolutely um, answers because I think that it's so important for our listeners, particularly our younger scholar athletes and even the parents of those athletes to know that, you know, none of us are perfect. We're all flawed. We all have personal deficiencies, but if we so choose to, we can rise above those personal deficiencies and we can go on to do some extraordinary things. And I want to connect another dot because one of the things you talk about in your book is your athletic journey, right? <laughs> your passion for soccer and the transition to Taekwondo and how passionate you were about making the basketball team. And then because you didn't make varsity, you get selected for JV and you're like, you know what? I ain't playing. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait, huh? <laughs> and and then what? The, it was just screaming at me. But the root of all of this, yes, you to a degree, you had a passion for sports. But a big part of your pursuit of athletic greatness was driven by your dad's respect for athletic play. And then surely, if I can become a stellar athlete, he'll love me. He'll accept me. I'll finally be good enough to receive his approval. Can you speak to that? You have hit the nail on the head, you know. And I think that's why it's so important. We, we do search as human beings for approval from other people, whether it's right or wrong, but you got to have your own self-worth. You have to know, you have to have your own approval and whether people acknowledge your achievements or not, it's okay. Right. When I started doing stuff, not for me, but for helping other people and started coming outside of myself and go, how can I contribute I became less concerned about the achievement was just a byproduct of going to serve, right? And so I didn't need people's approval. My approval is in your tears. My approval is in your smile. My approval is in your success. So whether somebody verbalizes that to me or not, the future is great to have a kiss for my kids or my wife. But man, I'm just all about we need to get into the process. And if your process is in the right area, you'll get approval from somewhere that you really want, which is upstairs. You know, and I just try to wake up every morning with that. So yes, at that point, I was looking for my dad's approval tremendously. And if you get into the book down further, if somebody reads about it, man, I went as far as to getting into acting myself. And I, I was on every daytime soap opera and things. I was like acting with Pam Anderson and I did it because I was like, clearly my dad cannot ignore me if he sees me on the TV. And then I found out I had no passion for any of that. I had no passion for it. It felt hollow to me. I call it like a, 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 an Easter bunny 
where it was all shiny and chocolatey down the outside and it was hollow on the inside for me. And I threw it away. And I said, my passion is in helping people. My passion is I wake up every day and if I can see someone make a little bit of improvement or help them in some way, that is my, my calling in life. So once again, Dr. Lauren, I went off on a tangent. This Italian no, answer anything in short sentences, but look, look, John. Now I'm gonna backtrack just a teeny bit yeah, because go ahead. I forgot to mention a piece on a on a hilarious note. I was I'm crying now because I'm just so moved by this whole story. But oh my god, and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put a clinical spin on it. I'm gonna talk about how we can choose to overcome embarrassment and shame and humiliation, John. Really, though, horse poop in your mouth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what the heck? So you yeah. gotta tell you can, I said bird turd and horse poop in his mouth. I when I say I was laying on the counter in my kitchen, Rita, I was crying. I said, not horse poop in your mouth. What in the wild world? And then and then look, and he done told the world he done ate horse poop. <laughs> So if you don't know, I grew up in upstate New York and I worked on a farm and I thank God for those days and summers where I was making $4 an hour bailing hay. And one of the things I'm passionate about the outdoors and, and hunting, I used to hunt with a bow and arrow from the time I was a kid. I had to earn the right to do that on the farm. So I had to muck horse stalls. And so I would be in the winter, horse turds freeze up. And I had to find a way to get them off the ground either way. So I would be picking at them with a damn shovel. And there would always end up some horse turds would end up in your mouth one way or another, your eyes, your hair. So, yes, Dr. Laura, I, uh, I, I said at the beginning of the book when I wrote it, I said, I have to be truthful as I can be. And that's why there's a lot of profanity in there. There's all that because that's the way I was talking at that point in my life. And I had to just be authentic to what was happening at the time. So, yes, thank you for bringing up to the world that horse turds were in my mouth. I appreciate that. John, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, both my parents are, are country bumpkins themselves. And when I was in middle school and I had, you know, face full of acne and everything, you know, I tried all the products in Walmart and all that good stuff. And my dad was like, boy, you need to do what we did back in the day. You need to put some chicken poop on your face. And, and I was like, I said, I said, come again. He said, yeah, boy, you put some chicken poop on your face to clear all that acne up in a week. Number one, we ain't got no live chickens around us. Number two, even if we did, no. I'd rather have acne than have chicken poop on my face. So don't feel too bad, man. People back in the day used to do a lot of crazy things. That's um, hilarious. John, I wanted to real quick um, kind of piggyback on something that you were mentioning about when you were talking about your father, because so many things you said about the, the father son relationship is really important. And a lot of times, you know, people kind of overlook, like you said, we all look for acceptance externally in some way, shape or form, whether it's from our profession, whether it's from our colleagues, our family, friends, whatever the case may be, we look for acceptance externally, oftentimes more than we do internally. And it is important for us to be able to have that self-worth and self-acceptance internally. But from a father-son relationship, every little boy out there, regardless of age, color, where you're from, whatever, we all look to get that acceptance from our fathers, right? And, and to your point, and I want to kind of share this with our viewers real quick, because when I talk to families about understanding the process of being a parent, but also the process of a kid, I'll start with the kid perspective real quick. Kids kind of go through three, 
three stages with their parents. The idolizing stage, the demonizing stage, and then the humanizing stage. You know, when you're first born and you're young and everything, you idolize your parents. You know, they're the greatest things on God's green earth to you. Like they're rock stars. They know everything. They do cool stuff. All these things, right? We just idolize them. When we get to about teenage, middle school, preteen years, we start to demonize our parents because why? They're the no fun police. They don't allow us to do this. We don't get to go here. You got to be on the farm all day. You got to be doing outside, doing yard work all day. You don't get to hang out with your friends. You don't get to watch TV all day or lay around. I don't get to go here and all that. And so it's like our parents don't seem fun. They don't seem fair. They don't seem reasonable, right? And especially in a father-son relationship, when you have somebody, my father was in the military too. He never was uh, deployed or anything, but he was in special forces. And a lot of the older generations, them, those military men are very tactical, schematic, um, disciplined, sometimes a little bit more so, I wouldn't necessarily call it discipline more so than just terrorizing, but you get the picture and everything. And so from a kid perspective, it's like, oh, you, what, 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 you're not cool no more. What is all this? And then I always tell parents, when kids turn 18, they go through this stage called the humble pie years. From a, from a kid perspective, I'll call it the humanizing years. Because when kids finally take the responsibility of themselves for the first time, it really puts it in perspective what their parents had to navigate from day one of them being born, getting them to 18. And like you said, if your parents didn't have those tools and resources necessary for them to maturate into adulthood in a happy and healthy way, they're only doing with what they know. And so that humanizing phase is oftentimes where you have that realization, like, you know, damn, like maybe, you know, dad was doing the best he could. I mean, like, hell, he served in three wars. Like he saw things that, I mean, you could do it now. And I, I wouldn't be able to fathom or understand what he had to deal with, endure and things like that. The generation he grew up in and all those things. And so I, I think it's really important for people to understand that, that, yes, we go through those stages naturally. And sometimes we can beat ourselves up in that demonizing stage where we don't understand our parents and what they're going through. And to your point, you just don't understand. A, you're not old enough to understand, but B, you're not put in the positions that your parents have to be put in during those times to parent you and also navigate the world themselves. And so I'm glad you were able to talk about that. And just really quickly, because I'm going to pass it back to Dr. Pitts, from a parenting standpoint, one of the things I try to help parents understand is that there's four stages for parenting. Birth to birth to six is the, the uh, discipline years, teaching your kids disciplines, rules, boundaries, things like that. From seven to 13, is the guiding years. You kids are doing things for the first time, school, sports, activities, all this for the first time, guiding them. From 13 to 18 is the coaching years. Your kids are discovering autonomy, independence, decision-making, what other people think about them and things like that. So coaching them through that. And then from 18 on, hey, it's the friend years. You're an adult now. You on the same side as me. There's no point. I can't parent you no more. Now I just have to help you assimilate into the world and really guide you from an adult perspective. And so I really appreciate you painting that picture, John, because that father-son relationship and dynamic can be very tricky, even for the healthiest of parents, right? You know, you've been a guy your entire life. You know how hard-headed and boneheaded and knuckle-headed we can be and all that. And so teaching boys how to become men is such a special process. And sometimes you have to go through those growing pains and things like that to really understand what it takes to be a man and raise a man in this world. So I really appreciate you sharing that perspective, John. Thank you. I, I can't even thank you enough for everything that you just said. To break it down in those digestible pieces, for me to understand it, like I've heard bits and pieces of that before, but never put together so succinctly like that. And it makes such sense. And it's going to help me when I walk out this door to go help my 
12-year-old and my nine-year-old to understand better. That's amazing. And I think that's the reason, one of the reasons I was here today to hear that. Thank you, John. I appreciate you being man. I've learned a lot uh, about just mental fortitude, <laughs> mental resilience, really believing in yourself and knowing you are enough. And I know my screen's frozen, so y'all probably can't hear me right now, but we it's all good. We, but we, I do appreciate you, John, and the sentiments you just shared, man. Thank yeah. you, man. Indeed. Um, just a couple more things because we're we are at time. Um, John, if I had to, because God, it, this is two more shows worth of of powerful, powerful discussion. Um, if I had to just surmise your journey s- simply, and and certainly not simplifying your journey because it's just so extraordinary, you went from developing a bad attitude because of all of these negative experiences that you had in your life as you matured as you began to heal physically mentally emotionally you chose to make this transition to have a much more positive attitude a more positive outlook for life and with all of these things, I'm going to use some clinical terminology here, with all of these things that diminished your sense of self, that fractured your sense of self, that impeded upon your ability to have healthy attachment to other people. Um, side note, one of the things you said in the book is not all people are good and not all people are bad. And somewhere in your journey, I remember I, I cried when you were sharing um, about your arrest. And that chapter of the book is called uh, The Life-Changing Kick, I believe is the title of that chapter. Um, but when you, because for those of you that haven't read the book yet, he kicked the crap out of somebody in, in an altercation. And it, because I thought just from the way there was, I was like, he's dead. He's like, I felt like a little kid. I was like, oh my God, he's dead. No, he's dead. He's dead. But he wasn't dead. Thank God. And what I thought was just so extraordinary is you said, you know, you don't know where that young man or that older man now and his brother are, but if they've read this book or if they've heard about the book, you wanted them to know that you're sorry. And I just thought that that spoke to such extraordinary humility and such extraordinary accountability, even though, you know, you have to read the book to find out what led up to that life transforming kick. Right. So there, for all intents and purposes, there, there, there was some antecedents that led up. You didn't just, well, you know what, let me kick the crap out of them. It wasn't that type of decision. There were a whole lot of other moving parts going on in that situation that day. Um, but if you could, um, I want you to close us out if you don't mind. And I want you to, to share with our listeners, particularly our, our, our athletes about the importance of attitude and choices mm-hmm. and whatever final thoughts you feel like would be beneficial for them to hear. And then say, go Cowboys, we're about to hit the playoffs. <laughs> And thank you for joining us. <laughs> Will do. You close us up. <laughs> um, I think it's very important to live an intentional life. 
at some point I was running on autopilot earlier in my life and and what could happen me to me throughout a day was 100% spontaneous and I'm not saying don't I'm not saying lose the spontaneity or the adventure or any of that because life needs to be that and it unfolds in front of us but there are things we can intentionally do every day I have dealt with the physical side of that so much, but I learned through helping people through the physical side that the mental and emotional side is as important, if not more important. So for athletes, for human beings, for moms, for dads, I wake up every day very intentional and I wake up and the first thing I do before I can go and help anybody is I take care of myself first. And I do that by praying and for me, meditation and breathing because now I set the tone for my day that other things are going to pull me in a certain direction. I don't look at my phone to make sure none of that happens. I give thanks, number one, that I've woken up because there were chances in my life, if you read the book, several times where I could not have, it was very possible I didn't wake up the next day. So I'm grateful for that, number one. And I always try to give perspective that, yes, there may be challenges in my life, but other people are going through more. And if I focus on helping those other people, my things that I'm dealing with start to start to look small. So every day I'm very intentional and I start with prayer. I start with meditation. I start with breathing. I give thanks to people that have passed through my life are now in the spiritual realm and people that are with me now to support me. And I do some type of physical activity. I do something challenging to for my physical health. Mm-hmm. And then I plan out my day and go, hey, I'm going to be intentional here, here, and here. This is what I need to do here. If I get to that, great. If I don't, and I always remember, I do my best to remember, to tell people and take the time to tell them I love them, mm-hmm. that I'm yeah. grateful for them, I'm yeah. thankful <clears throat> because... I've had friends commit suicide. I've had people that passed through natural causes. I've had people that left my life that I thought I would have one more day with. And I didn't. So I take the time to tell the people that are so important to me and let them know and give them acknowledgement of how grateful I am. So I believe we got to have that every day on an intentional level is being spiritual to whatever that means to you. Okay, to being physical and doing something for your health. So you can, you might have the best mind or the best ideas, but if you can't physically have the energy to do it, then we're cutting you short. You'll never know what your capacity is if you don't have that, right? How much can you serve? How much can you help? How many people can you inspire? You'll never know if you're fighting your own ailments at your own hands all the time. So I try not to create trouble in my life because I know life is going to bring me enough trouble at its own. That's right. And then I just try to go out and just help as many people as I can. And on that note, Dr. Lauren, well, John, can I can I jump in oh, for please, one second? Because I, yes. I know I asked you to close us out, but yeah. I decided that I don't want you to. I'll close us out because I want to make sure that but I forgot to tell you. Make sure you let folks know how they. I, Ronnie said it in the beginning about your gym and stuff, but restate that, please. Tell them where they can get your book, folks. Y'all need to read this book, and I do want to create space for Ted to share a final thought, Ronnie, if you have one, and then I will Man, close us out. Perfect. I'm sorry for switching it up. You have you. such great intuition. Up. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to hop this in and maybe this is for a discussion of another day. I want to just go back. I wrote a note. Mm -hmm. You had said earlier that my mind had taken me out of GBS and it was my mental strength. And you briefly said before that, that you didn't want to, I don't think you wanted to offend me or anything. And you Mm -hmm. said, possibly your mentality got you to GBS. Let me just give you a little hint how Mm -hmm. smart you are because I had a business deal going south 
that people decided to break a contract before I got GBS and I let them get into my mental space and I didn't sleep for about two weeks before that happened. And that is a lesson I learned that I'll never allow anybody to get in my mental space and affect my life like that again. But I got GBS right after that, right after I didn't sleep, right after I had all these mental Mm. things that you were onto it. You were sniffing like a hound dog. Now, maybe it was the horse turds I had on me that you were smelling. Yes. And you were trying, you were respectful and everything, but you were right. So maybe that's a conversation for another day that I do believe that had some precursor to bringing the GBS on because I was weakened in a mental physical state. Mm-hmm. The thing I wanted to say is I want to 2024. I love what I do. I'm passionate. I help people on a one-to-one basis and I need to take that to a bigger level where I go one to 500, one to a thousand. So I'm trying, I'm educating myself on how to send my message and I'm studying motivational and personal speaking. And I want to do that as part of my 2024. Mm-hmm. Part of that is I have another book coming out that I did in the last, it'll be out in about two weeks. And it is the the version of Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer, but teen version with no profanity, Ooh. no adult situations. So if I go to a juvenile hall or I go to someone's youth ministry, I feel good that I can give somebody, a youth that may be dealing with something I dealt with, a yes. tool that they can take away. And I feel so good in my heart that there's nothing bad in there or profanity. So that is coming out in two weeks. It's called the teen version of that. And I put new scenes about how positive mentors have helped me in my life. Mm-hmm. And I've talked way too much. I thank you for this time. I'm going to shut up for a minute. And I just say, I'm blessed to be with all three of you here on this day. And I thank you for all that you have blessed me with in learning today. Mm. When you come to the DFW Metroplex to speak, let me know <laughs> so that I can so that I can get there. It's it's coming. And 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 let me just say this: I'm not suggesting for a moment that there's not benefit in having a speaking coach and a mentor and all that because all of those things are positive. I had them; they're beneficial all nine yards. But your story is <clears throat> like I I tell people. One of and and oh, by the way, you'll find as a man of God, you will find that when you start to do speaking engagements, you can have it in your mind that you're going to go on stage and say X, Y, and Z, and God will drop something in your spirit and change your whole speaking engagement for real. He'll change your whole speaking engagement because there's somebody in the audience that has been praying and seeking God's face about an answer. And that answer is going to be conveyed to them through you. And you have to be obedient to what God drops in your spirit so that folk can get what they need in that particular. I can't even tell you how many times that has happened to me over the years. And I'm like, that ain't what I came here to say. <laughs> and it's like, but you're going to say what I told you to say. And then folk come up to you after the speaking engagement. And you're like, oh, that's that's why I had to to make that modification. Um, honored. Just so, 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 so honored. Um, man, you just don't know. You, I'm giving you the keys to the house. We're giving you the keys to the house. Man, you got to stay in touch. 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 Please, please, please. Ted, you want to add anything? And Ronnie, before it, we close out, and nothing slick about my Cowboys. It is. It is. <laughs> this was so enriching for me to be here for this hour and, and a half or so, whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. I really don't want it to end. I'm really just yeah. listening, ready to hear some more information. But, yeah. John, you have a powerful story. And so you're, you're thought of being able to speak in front of large crowds, you're already doing it because 
for example, this platform is going to be on YouTube and Facebook or wherever else Dr. Pitts has it, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to see that. Mm -hmm. And I believe from that, somebody's going to ask you to come speak and it'll just start leading mm -hmm. to other things. And so mm -hmm. the key here for you, and I, I know you think you need a speaking coach, like she was saying that, I think you sound absolutely incredible. And here's why. You are authentic. You're telling the truth. Authenticity is what people mm -hmm. want. They don't want all this scripted stuff, man. And so right. the other thing I want to say to you, you spoke so much about what's in my heart, about how I feel about me, the type mm. of person that I am that I've never been able to verbalize. And you are, I'm going to listen to this over and over again because I have to write some of it down. It's been ways that I wanted to express who I am and wanting to help people and what that means to me, that you were actually able to put it in words for me today. Mm. And now I can be able to translate when people ask me, what are my passions? I can actually put them in some words that you used being to describe me. So I thank you for being here today. Dr. Pitts, thank you for inviting me. Ronnie, thank you for having me here. And one other, the last thing I'll say is, and you said this, John, and, and, and I'm paraphrasing, there's freedom and forgiveness for each of us. And you forgiving your dad for him not knowing because he didn't have a manual for you to, to raise you speaks so much volumes because you got released and got the freedom from that situation, not because of what he did. You released him, which gave him freedom of it, but it also released you so that you can continue to move on and help other people unencumbered by all that mess. So I thank you for your testimony. I'm humbled by that. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother. My my final words, uh, John, like I said, man, um, just sitting here for the last hour with you um, before the show and during the show, um, I, I'm absolutely honored to be able to share this space with you. Um, your testimony, your perspective, the missions and the things you're doing in the here and now and everything, um, any way I could be of support, um, please let me know because, like I said, I, I, I'm big on men having spaces yeah. to really be the best version of a man they can be for themselves. Not necessarily, all the other responsibilities are important, but the responsibility we owe to ourselves, especially men, oftentimes we don't have those spaces. And so, man, I, I, I'm just honored to be able to share this space with you, mm -hmm. hear your testimony and perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to get a copy of the book and read it um, mm -hmm. because like I said, I read an excerpt of it, um, but I definitely want to finish it and read the whole thing because I think mm -hmm. your story and just how you've navigated the trials and mm -hmm. tribulations of life Right. I always tell people life is hard regardless of how you look at it. It's hard getting there. It's hard maintaining. Choose your hard. And like yeah. you said, each and every day you wake up and you choose to do something hard, not because you necessarily want to do it, but because, you know, hard times will come. And if I'm not prepared for those hard times, they can really be devastating. And so, man, thank you once again for sharing your testimony and perspective today. I'm honored to be a part of it. Uh, Ted, it's always a pleasure having you on the show and everything, man, sharing your testimony and perspective. Dr. Pitts. Um, I'm about to mute you. I, I said I wasn't going to say anything crazy about the Cowboys. I'm about to mute However, you. However, if I'm not able to be here on the 20th, I just wanted to be on record that I said I told you so in September. You all have a beautiful weekend. See how thank you, Ronnie. Is. Thank you, buddy. Just ignorance, ignorance, ignorance. So look, folks, um, the floodgates open today in, in, in tears, in wisdom, in vulnerability, in transparency, in truth. 
And that was one of the things that we talked about. I don't remember if, if uh, Ronnie shared it when we went live, but we were talking about it before we went live, that 2024 is a year of truth. And what I want to say to you in closing is <clears throat> we hear people say it almost cliche, speak your truth, speak your truth, speak your truth. There is freedom in authentic truth. There is healing <clears throat> in authentic truth. And because of social media and because of trauma, so many people are navigating life based upon cognitive distortions. They're navigating life based upon distorted perceptions of their traumatic experiences. And because they have such a distorted interpretation of their traumatic experiences, they end up living life based upon a lie. And their sense of self ends up getting shattered. It, it, their relationships ends up getting shattered. Their personal deficiencies end up growing exponentially. And before you know it, you're living a life of, of unnecessary dysfunction. I want to reiterate the importance of authentic truth. And I, I challenge you, I encourage you to stop treating your feelings, your emotions like domestic terrorists, and give yourself permission to get help. Get the help that you need to confront the pain and the demons of your past so that 2024 is the first year of the best years of the rest of your life. <clears throat> Every Thursday from 7 to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time is Dr. Pitt's Tips Live. What we decided is because you won't come to therapy, we're going to bring therapy to you. My social media manager is trying to get me to move it to an hour. I'm fighting her on that tooth and nail. Like my schedule's not already busy enough. But for right now, every Thursday on Facebook, Instagram, we're trying to get the multi-streaming platforms in place so that we'll be on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, um, and LinkedIn simultaneously so that you can get these free tips so that you can improve your relationship with yourself your relationship with others, and truly, truly, truly learn what it means to live a life that you say that you love living. Thank you to each of you. My heart is just overflowing right now. Um, I'm so humbled and I'm so eternally grateful for each of you, um, even in my surrogate son's ignorance, but I love him. You know, I love him. But John and Ted, it's on. I'm honored. I am truly, truly, truly honored to share this platform with both of you. Um, and let's keep doing what we're doing and positively impacting lives because we know that people can be transformed. All right, folks, that's all we have. We went over today, but we needed to. I couldn't stop because I couldn't. So that's what I tell people. It's my show. <laughs> have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you.